0: You're listening to the Harborside Church podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Thanks very much, Dave. Hey, everybody, it's great to uh, it's great that you can see me, and I'm glad I can see some of you this morning. Um, I spend a lot of my working day on, on Zoom, uh, but this is my first time preaching a message, so that's uh, pretty exciting. I did kind of consider, hey, should I put some of those funny virtual 3D glasses on, uh, but kind of thought better. I, got, I went for the real plant instead. Um, my kids are wondering why is all the dirty laundry kind of pushed over to that side of the room. Um, and I've actually, I've actually had to send them away because we live in such a small home. So they're at the park playing while we uh while we preach this message this morning. But um, we're in it. we in our new series, as Dave mentioned, Glimpses of Grace. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the two messages that have preceded, um, I really encourage you to do that. Make sure you go and watch them on, on the website or on Facebook. Uh, So far, we've looked at uh, the mass of grace, and last week, we looked at how grace humbles the proud. And this morning, as Dave mentioned, we're considering grace for the doubter. How does God meet us in our doubts? What does that look like? Because doubt is really, it's a pretty uncomfortable feeling, really, isn't it? Um, When my daughter, when Lucia was about two years old, we went on our first, uh, we went on a family holiday to Byron Bay, and it was our first time uh, taking her on a flight. So it was our first time taking probably the most precious thing to us uh, onto this giant hunk of metal that somehow flies through the sky. Um, and so the flight had been delayed a few times because of an issue with the plane. And uh, I, don't know, I don't know what your, your um, pre-flight checklist is, and you've probably forgotten it by now anyway. But there's usually, you find the gate, for me anyway, I find the gate where the plane's taking off from. And I walk over to the window and I look out at the plane. And, and there's never anything really wrong with the plane. When I look out, it always looks fine. I've, I've never looked out the window and seen something broken about my plane and, and seen someone sticking a part back onto it. That's fallen off or a big hole in the wing. That's, that's never, has never happened to me. Nothing ever like that. Um, so we bought the plane and the captain introduces himself and he, and he apologizes for the delay and says, you know, I think we're going to get underway. He starts doing the pre-flight checklist. He's warming up the engines. He's moving the flaps up and down Uh, but you know i've caught a few flights before and i know something's not right here something feels a bit off it usually doesn't take this long to do the check Um, there's this horrible clunking grinding noise going on uh, with the plane and the pilot has literally turned the plane off and then back on again just in case that fixes it and he comes on the intercom and he says hey we're having some issues with our with our plane but we're going to try and sort this out don't worry about it and i'm thinking I don't know how I feel about this plane. I don't really want or need my plane to require reboots in order for it to function. What happens if we're flying and then you have to quickly turn it off and turn it on again? Uh, I started to feel some doubts about my plane and especially when I had my little family, which was so precious to me, on board. And anyway, the end of this story is they got us a new plane and we flew to Byron Bay, which which thankfully for my family, is, is really just not much of an interesting story that's the ending of a story that you want when it when it's your family involved right you don't want that hey i was doubting the integrity of the plane and then the wing fell off and we were lost at sea for seven days that's you know that's a story i'd like someone else to tell it's not the story that i want um but yeah anyway we're we're in the we're in the book of john this morning john chapter 20 verses 19 to 29 if you're able to and you want to read along with us let's do that this morning Uh, before i jump into the passage there are some things that happen right beforehand that i think are worth pointing out um, even just briefly so they are well firstly it's been early on the first day of the week after christ's crucifixion and mary's gone to the tomb and she finds the stone's been removed so she goes and finds peter and john and she tells them what she's seen and so peter and john they set off running to go and see for themselves and there's this nice little record in the text where it tells us who the fastest runner is which seems You know, I'm not quite sure why that's included, but there you go. And the disciples, they leave. They go back to where they were staying. But Mary stays outside the tomb and she's weeping. And this gardener comes up to her and and asks her, why are you crying? But then surprise, it's not a gardener It's at all. It's the risen Christ. So Mary goes and tells again the disciples that she has seen Jesus alive. And it's this point that we roll into our text. So um, read along with me at home if, if you can. Verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So here we have this group of men and they've got some serious worries. They're under persecution by the Jewish religious leaders. Their teacher has has literally just been crucified a few days earlier. And some of the disciples are now saying, hey, Jesus's body is no longer in the tomb. And Mary is saying that she's seen Jesus alive. And I think if we are fair, to doubting Thomas, who we're gonna meet a little bit um, later, we we should admit that the disciples, they probably had doubts of their own as well. Doubts about what had happened three days ago, doubts about what the last three years had meant for them, doubts about the truth of what Jesus had taught them, doubts about the reports coming back from the tomb. So we have a group of men, they're in a locked room, afraid, what better way to calm the nerves than to have the risen Christ who seems to have no regard for locked doors at all, just appear in the middle of them yelling, peace be with you. Now the NIV, it has an exclamation mark at the end of peace be with you. So I'm going with that. Hey, Jesus yelled it. Peace be with you. Uh, verse 20 it keeps going. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It, it really is a pretty undeniable way of proving your resurrection, isn't it? To physically arrive in the room in front of the disciples. It's really hard for the disciples to, be, to say, that wasn't Jesus. This isn't a ghost Jesus. This isn't someone doing a great Jesus interpret, a impersonation because he shows them his hands, he shows them his side, the holes where the nails were driven through and the, the mark on, on, the, on his side where the spear was plunged in. And when the disciples see Christ, their doubt, their fear, Those things move aside and it makes way for joy. The the text says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. If you keep listening, um, if you have been listening after I talked about the the plane um, that didn't crash that I was on, and you don't have kids kind of climbing on top of you and running around the house at the moment, then I'd really encourage you to try and make a note of that idea of seeing the Lord. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I'll try and kind of circle back to that in a little bit. All right, verse 21 and 22 says... Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So Dave mentioned kind of earlier on our our Zoom church service this morning here, we're exploring, um, our series is exploring glimpses of grace. What is grace? What does it look like? What does it feel like to interact with? And when I think about grace, I really find myself thinking about the differences between mercy and grace. The you know the the differences between those two concepts. How is grace and and mercy different? What what are the differences between them? Often I think we use these words interchangeably, because mercy and grace, you can probably think of them as two sides of the same coin, but they're not exactly the same thing. And the definition that I found most useful is this one. So God's mercy is not giving sinners what they do deserve. And God's grace is giving sinners what they do not deserve. I'll say it again because I can't put it on a screen or anything. God's mercy is not giving sinners what they do deserve. And God's grace is giving sinners what they do not deserve. Hopefully you can kind of hear the difference there in, in his mercy, God withholds from us what we do deserve in his grace. He heaps upon us blessings that we don't deserve in his mercy. He withholds from us what we did merit, which would be his judgment. And in grace, he pours out on us what we could never earn, what we could never merit, peace, joy, everlasting life. And this idea of grace, it really, it really can be quite absurd when you start to interact with it. it. It can feel ridiculous. It can feel so unnatural to us unless we've experienced real true grace ourselves. I'll give you this example. Say you wake up one morning and you find that your car has been stolen. Hey, you parked it in the driveway overnight. And now it's just not there anymore your heart would start to pound you call the police and they actually tell you hey during the night we actually caught the person responsible we found your car we found the person who's, who stole it but unfortunately it looks like your car is just totaled it's it's beyond repair it's just a write-off and you could probably maybe imagine the anger the resentment that you might feel for that person can't you you know they've taken your property without your permission in the middle of the night it's kind of a violation that's been destroyed It's wrong. It's inconvenient. I want some retribution for what's happened to me. So here's my question. How would mercy and grace operate for you in that situation? It's it's a really big ask, I think. I think maybe a lot of us or some of us might be able to bring ourselves to mercy if we we chose to, to take pity on the person who's stolen our car, not press charges. Hey, accept the cost of replacing the car ourselves. Insurance is going to cover it. I'll bear the excess. Hey, you can go. That would be merciful to not give them what they do deserve. Police charges, the expense of replacing your car. How about grace? What would that look like? Remember, grace is giving what is not deserved, what is not merited. Grace would be going out, buying a brand new car like the one that you had and giving it to the one who stole from you. It seems pretty absurd. You've been wronged. And you respond by giving the person who sinned against you an extravagant gift. I don't think many of us could imagine ourselves doing it. I don't think we could imagine a a neighbor or a friend doing that. And it would be really absurd. Except isn't that exactly what God has done for us? Even though we were once his enemy, even though we have sinned against him, hasn't he adopted us as his children, given us eternal life, made us joint heirs with Christ, given us the Holy Spirit, given us power and victory over sin, promised to live inside us, Promised to give us, promised to change us into the image of Christ. Caused all things to work together for our good. Hasn't he heard our prayers? Produced fruit in the Spirit in us. Given us good work to walk, good works to walk in. The list it just goes on and on and on. And the question we have this morning is: Does that sort of grace that I'm trying to articulate to you, does that sort of grace extend to the doubters? And spoilers, when you consider just how outrageously lavish. And the nature of grace is it absolutely does let's consider how christ responds to to mr doubting thomas here we're in verse 24 and 25 it says now thomas also known as didymus one of the 12 was not with the disciples when jesus came so the other disciples told him we have seen the lord but he said to them unless i see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side i will not believe I mean, talk about having FOMO for the rest of your life. It's a pretty bad day to miss church, Thomas. You can imagine the excitement of the other disciples. Hey, Thomas, you won't believe it. He literally ninjaed his way into our room, even though the door was locked. He snuck up behind Peter and he yelled, peace be with you. Thomas would have seen some absolutely amazing things in his time with Jesus, miraculous things. So why didn't he just accept their testimony? Why didn't he just accept what the disciples said? And it really comes down to because he had doubts and doubt is not exactly the same as unbelief. The word doubt, it's it's more aligned with this idea of wavering in opinion, being in two minds, being undecided between two things. Thomas doubts and he doesn't deny their testimony, but he doesn't accept it either. He's wavering in opinion. And Thomas, he finds himself in good company because doubt happens to many believers. It happened to Peter when he denied Christ. It happened to Abraham when he laughed at the promise of God. It happened to Gideon when he tested God with a fleece. It happened to John the Baptist in prison. Charles uh, Spurgeon, the the famous Baptist preacher, he talks about times where he's doubted his own salvation. And he says this, I think when a man says, I never doubt, it is quite time for us to doubt him. It is quite time for us to, to begin to say Ah, poor soul, I am afraid you are not on the road at all. For if you were, you would see so many things in yourself and so much glory in Christ, more than you deserve, that you would be so much ashamed of yourself as even to say it is too good to be true. Hey, my son Otis, he has doubts. He He can't get his head around how a loving God would ever, ever create dinosaurs and then kill all the dinosaurs. He, he, he doubts the love of God. He can't get his head around it. He's wavering in opinion. Doub- doubts happen to us. And happen, I think, is the right word because the experience of finding yourself amidst doubts um, is something that it can, it can take us by surprise. I think the issue is not whether we'll experience doubt. I think a lot of us will. The issue is where do we go with the doubt? Where do we take it? Any faith, any belief that we have, however small it might seem, Where does it prompt us to turn? Where does it prompt us to look when doubts happen? Do we turn to the God of grace? Or do we look at our own abilities and our resources to try and figure things out? Let's look at how Thomas responds in verse 25 again. He says, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas responds to his doubt, I think, by looking for Jesus. That small amount of faith that he might have given his circumstances, it prompts him to say, hey, if I can just see him, I will believe. I need to see him. And you might disagree with me. You might feel, hey, John, I feel like you're you're, you're sugarcoating things a little bit. And maybe I'd probably agree with you, except that Christ responds. He turns up. He gives Thomas what he does not deserve. You can see it, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though, he, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, "'Peace be with you.'" So it's not implied in our text, but I think that Thomas, hey, he didn't miss a gathering from that point on. Jesus appeared in a locked room to the, to the other disciples. Maybe he'll do it again. And this time, this time, I'll be there to see him. Thomas has been looking for Jesus, and now here he sees him. Remember what I said when the, the kids were kind of climbing on top of you, and I said, hey, try and remember that point back in verse 20. Uh, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I think it's really in looking for Jesus that we experience grace for our doubts. There's a, a really a lot going on in the world at the moment. There's a lot going on for me personally. We've been trying to learn to homeschool for the first time. Our kids have been sick and our family have been sick for like literally three or four weeks. We're about to have our third child in a few more weeks. There's a lot going on and, and I need... I need the grace of seeing Jesus when I have doubts, when I'm afraid, when I'm feeling anxious. I need to be able to see Christ. Otis, um, my son had a fall at kindy a few weeks back and he, he needed a, like an emergency trip to the dentist and he's fine now, um, which I'm very thankful for. But I was sent kind of in the course of stitching him up to go to the chemist and pick up some antibiotics and pick up some pain relief, just you know, right at the end of the day before they close. So I'm trying to find a chemist before it closes. And your patience is a lot thinner when you've got the urgent thing, isn't it? Like, I'm at the chemist. I don't really particularly care to wait for the old lady at the counter to explain in grueling detail the circumstances of her hip pain. Like, I know it's important to her, but, you know, when you've got the thing that feels more urgent, I just want to get my prescriptions. I just want to get my son home before this anesthesia wears off, before he starts to go downhill. But when I'm looking for Jesus in that circumstance, when I'm looking for him, hey, I'm able to see everyone in the store in the image of God. Even the guy that just walked in with a raging fever during a COVID outbreak. You know, it, It's the responding to the mustard seed of faith that I have to acknowledge that, hey, Jesus is the mighty king that he is above all things that happen around me. And when I do that, that's when I start to experience God's grace. I'm filled with His peace I'm filled with his joy. I'm reminded of the everlasting life that is ahead of me. And that's one thing that we can take from Thomas this morning, to look for Jesus in your doubts. And his grace follows. Christ heard Thomas and he responded. There is absolutely grace for doubters. Right, verse 27, it says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. I do want to be careful this morning that this message doesn't just promote the idea of embracing doubt and doubting everything all the time. I really don't think that brings glory to God. In fact, like when you consider the book of James chapter one, James kind of warns us that the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. But The good news this morning is it's the same Jesus who commanded the wind and the waves to stop, that in scripture, he stands in this passage and he says to Thomas and he commands him, peace be with you, stop doubting and believe. See, grace goes to work for us in our doubts. It gives us what we do not deserve and it gives it what we cannot earn. Christ sees Thomas in his doubts and he interrupts them. He interrupts him. Peace be with you, Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. Here I am. Put, my thing, put your finger here, see, see my hands. And he offers the same grace to us. It's, it's an outrageous, it's a lavish grace where he gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us the rewards earned by Jesus, rewards of peace, rewards of joy, rewards of everlasting life. Verse 28 and 29 says this, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Thomas sees Christ, and not just his teacher that he spent the last three years with, but he really sees him. His eyes have been opened to what what has happened on the cross. Christ has overcome death. He has taken the judgment of God on himself, and now he stands offering peace, a real lasting peace that we could never have earned ourselves. And this is what I will hope and pray that we walk away with this morning. We will feel, face doubts as, Christian, as Christians, we will. But there's grace available. Ultimately, God offers us what we have not merited. God writes the wrongs of our sins at his own expense. And sometimes our faith, it might feel small and it might be challenged by doubt. Life, life has a way of pounding on us. I think that's true. We can acknowledge that this morning. But there is grace available when we look for christ what does the diamond of grace that dave's been talking about what does it look like when we have doubts is there grace available for doubters absolutely i'll uh, i'll end i think this this short message with an analogy i started this morning by talking about hey boarding on a plane and that story kind of didn't go anywhere and how i had you know doubts in the plane and thinking about planes right there's really two types of people that exist on a plane during turbulence aren't there there are those that are absolutely loving it the plane starts to bounce around like a roller coaster and they're like woo hands up in the air go around again let's do it and then there are those that are gripping onto their seat for dear life they can't quite get their seat belt tight enough that you know it's cutting off circulation to their legs there are two types of people and here's the point even though your faith in the plane might be weak even though you may have doubts you arrive at the same destination as everybody else the captain doesn't come up to you and say well excuse me sir but because you doubt the soundness of the aircraft and my ability to fly the plane we're just going to stop a little bit early and let you off somewhere else and then we'll continue no just as this is the power of the airplane not the faith of the passengers that takes us to our destination so too the power of our salvation is the strength of our god not the strength of our faith it's not the size of our faith or the amount of doubt but the object of our faith that is sufficient to quote Charles Spurgeon again talking about this same thing he says never make a Christ of your own faith or think of it as if as if it were an independent source of your salvation our, la- our life is found in looking unto Jesus not in looking to our own faith by faith all things become possible to us yet the power is not in the faith But in the god upon whom the faith relies there is grace for the doubter christ offers us what we have not earned And my encouragement for all of us this morning as we've joined together on zoom to try and have church is to look for christ in times of doubt to look for christ in times of fear to look for christ in times of anxiety i'll end by by reading this these are the next two verses that follow after our passage this morning verses 30 and 31 says Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen. Why don't I I pray just to end our our message this morning, uh, and then I'll pass back to Dave. Heavenly Father, I thank you for technology. I thank you that we can... Come together, we can gather together this Sunday morning around your word and be encouraged that there is grace for the doubters. Lord, I I thank you uh, for how much you've spoken to me so far through this series and in this message in particular. That grace is found in looking unto Jesus, and that in times where I am experiencing doubt and I am experiencing fear and I'm experiencing anxiety, that I can look for you, Father. And just like Thomas, you appear and you're there and you never leave us nor forsake us. Father, I ask that you would help us as a church body and as a church community to to be able to extend that grace to other people in times where it seems absolutely absurd and ridiculous, knowing the lavish nature in which you've poured out grace upon us. Um, Lord, we love you. We're we're thankful um, for your your body and for your church. And we ask that as we go into the rest of Sunday today um, that we would just be able to dwell on that there is grace available for the doubters. Amen.